turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Welcome to The Advocate with your host, Nick Phillips. And now, here's your host, Nick Phillips. Good evening, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another edition of The Advocate. And uh, tonight, we're going to be talking about the medical side of COVID. We're talking with Dr. Ann Carroll, who's been on The Advocate many, many times. And thank you for your continued support and information you give us on COVID and other medical issues. All right. Thank you very much for having me, Nick. It's always such a pleasure because we, we find out you know, the answers to the questions that us ordinary people have, and, and you give us clear uh, advice all the time. Like COVID, now we're going through the phase where people are getting vaccinations. We have some people who have their first vaccination shot, their second vaccination shot. We have people who aren't getting shots. Uh, we have people who, for whatever reasons, um, are not wearing masks. And we still have all of these issues. Uh, first off, COVID is still around, is it not? It is, but, you know, um, if you listen to today's news, just in the state of Ohio, our uh, number of cases in nursing homes and with staff are all decreasing, which is great. You know, we're, we seem to be getting a handle on the on this disease. Um, it could be Good. a result. It could be a result of the vaccine, or it could be a result of people being very conscientious about masking and washing hands and social distancing. That we finally caught up with things and are going in a positive direction. But for whatever reason it is, it, we are seeing a decrease in the number of serious illnesses with COVID. Now, that's that's a key statement you just made, and that is a decrease in the number of severe illness uh, because people are still coming up positive with COVID. But uh, is that reflecting in the hospitals and in the ICUs and in the death column? Um, so we know about... 45% of people who test positive for COVID are asymptomatic. So just look at half the population with COVID. You don't need, they don't know it and you don't know it, but they can transmit the disease. That's why we were so uh, adamant about wearing a mask and washing hands and all of that. Um, now that we have the vaccine, um, you know, when, when you get the vaccine, I tell people, just because you've had the vaccine, don't think you can't get COVID. You can still get COVID. The first shot only protects you about 50%, and it's not even that effective until about 10 to 14 days, and it varies depending on the individual, after you get it. So you still have to pretend that you didn't get a vaccine. You still wear your mask because you can carry COVID, and you can transmit it even though you've had the vaccine. Um, there were some studies that they're, they're looking at the mucous membranes of the nose and they're looking at people who are fully immunized, who've had the second vaccine, and they're a month out from that and they're 95% uh, protective. But they're testing positive in the NARES for coronavirus. So the question is, is the, uh, are the antibodies able to penetrate the, the mucous membranes in the NARES to destroy the virus? So even though you may not get sick from it, you can still carry it and give it to somebody else. This is all so new 
that we don't have these answers yet. So I, I tell well, that's, people that's just. Interesting. Yeah, so just, just because yeah, just because you yeah, just because you have the vaccine doesn't mean you can't harbor the virus uh, and still transmit it to somebody else. Well, that's interesting. Uh, the, going to the nature of a virus uh, is that it's really not a living creature, but it's a replicating uh, particle that yeah. apparently it's a protein based. If it gets into the uh, mucous membrane of the nasal passages. Even though you're admitted or you, you've had the vaccine and you are supposedly uh, 95% protected, that uh, protein, that uh, particular virus can replicate in the nose and be contagious. Okay, Anne, it's all yours. Go ahead. Replicate. Okay, so with the, with the vaccine, we know that it uh, is very effective at preventing disease but we're not sure if we can prevent the transmission of the disease. Um, we also know that one out of 20 people who are vaccinated with the new virus, uh, with this new vaccine rather, can still get seriously ill with the virus. So it's not an all or nothing phenomenon. That's why I encourage people when they get the vaccine, pretend that they haven't been vaccinated, still wear the mask, social distancing, washing your hands until we get, until we get herd immunity, which is about 80% of the population. That's the most recent number that I've heard. Um, it takes 10 to 14 days after you get the immunization to develop the antibodies, but it does not. The first one is only about 15, 50, 50% of immunity. It's the second one that kicks it up to 95. Um, and it still means that other people, you can still transmit it to other people if, if you test positive for the COVID. I know a lot of people say, well, I got the COVID vaccine and then I got sick with COVID. Well, they probably had COVID before they got the vaccine or right around the same time. And uh, they were just asymptomatic at that time. And it's too soon for the vaccine to prevent the disease from occurring. And so they just naturally got the disease. They were pre-infected, so to speak. So with regard to people who are uh, immunized from COVID, they get their first shot. And to recap a bit, that after that first shot, in 10 to 14 days after their first inoculation, they'll only be about 50% protected from that. And then it doesn't go up until, I assume, 10 to 14 days after the second booster shot that occurs. Correct. basically it. But throughout all of this, someone can still uh, receive, and we'll call it an inoculation, not in a syringe sense, but from the standpoint that they do have exposure to COVID-19 in, in the community, that can colonize and replicate within the nostrils and still be correct. spread. That's correct. And uh and as I said, it's just too soon. We know that it prevents illness, but we don't know that it prevents transmission of the disease. We don't know that yet. So they're still studying that, so we can get we can expect further instructions uh, in the months. Absolutely, to come. right. And so, so it's, it's it's prudent to continue to protect yourself. You know, because even though you get the vaccine and you're ninety five percent protected, doesn't mean you can't harbor it and transmit it to somebody else who may not have the vaccine yet. When you are protected uh, and uh, you have, you've gone through all the waiting, you've gone through the two doses and so on, I think what you're saying is you could still play host to a COVID-19 
situation where you have it and you can spread it. Correct. Will, will this stay on, will this stand indefinitely, or do we see an end in sight for this particular uh, phenomena? Well, uh, we're all hoping that we'll this, we will see an end in sight, but we don't know yet. You know how how long has it been? Maybe two months since we've been vaccinating people. So if yeah. that, so we don't have all those answers. This is all too soon, and uh, all the scientists are working very hard out in the in the field. I'm gathering their information to see if we are decreasing the transmissibility of this disease, of this virus, after a certain uh, number of weeks of of 95% immunity. We just don't know. It's just too soon. Do we have any better handle on this uh, phenomena of COVID-19 being contagious with asymptomatic people? And specifically, do we know what percentages or have an idea of how many people who are asymptomatic spreaders will remain asymptomatic spreaders and never have any signs or symptoms versus those who are actually pre-symptomatic? Um, well, we the studies, uh, the literature says about 45% of people who are test COVID positive are asymptomatic carriers. They don't know they have it, nor do they get sick from it. And those individuals, if we're testing them for some other reason, like uh, pre-admission testing or something like that, and they come out positive, we quarantine them, you know. And then many of the of the hospitals retest them after the quarantine to make sure it's negative. And they and you talk to them and say, I never got sick. I sat home for two weeks and nothing happened, and now I'm back. And many of them are angry. But the bottom line is you can't expose hospital staff or anybody to someone who's a carrier of the disease. We have to we have to control it. Best way of controlling it is identifying it and quarantining that particular individual and making sure that they're COVID negative. Have we reached any con, uh, conclusions concerning asymptomatic uh, people by age or medical history at all? So that is there something that the younger people are more prone to be asymptomatic than older people or people with certain well, conditions? I think in the beginning we thought that um, the asymptomatic carriers were uh, in the younger patient population, but in fact we're seeing a lot of asymptomatic carriers in the elderly population who never get the disease. Uh, so it's not an all or nothing. The, the unfortunate part is, is the elderly population uh, who do get the disease, as you know, can be catastrophic. So uh, the more we test, the more we find out who's positive, and who's asymptomatic, and in those individuals, if they have risk factors, like if they're over the age of 65, or if they're obese, they have diabetes, kidney disease, all of this stuff, we uh, have them get monoclonal antibodies. They get a dose of it, just one dose, uh, and uh, it's effective. We're testing, and 11 days out from that dose, um, the virus is gone. They te- retested, wow. and they don't have evidence of the virus. So that's a big step in trying to prevent the complications of this disease because we don't know which asymptomatic carrier is going to go on to have a bad illness, or they may well, never. Let's, let's, let's explore that in more detail in the next segment. We're going to take a short break. We're talking to Dr. Ann Carroll, our expert on COVID-19 and, and how it's been tracking through these many months and where we are now. Don't go away. You're listening to Nick Phillips and WHK. We'll take a short break. We'll be right back. And uh, again, don't go away. I 
Welcome back, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another segment of The Advocate. We're talking to Dr. Ann Carroll, medical doctor who's advising us on COVID-19 and some of the ins and outs of the ever-changing landscape that we're facing every day. And facing that landscape, I'd like to thank Dr. Carroll for your work and out there in the, at the tip of the spear working with people every day. How's it looking, how's it looking out there at the hospital level? Um, things are getting better. Uh, they're getting much better. Uh, you know, we, we're seeing far less serious illness, um, from the disease. Uh, we're seeing less number of people, uh, who are testing positive, but we still have a lot of positive out there. Um, what, what is so good about now is that we have some treatments to prevent people who are carriers who are test, being tested and they're asymptomatic and they have risk factors, and now we have treatments for that. We give them monoclonal antibodies. It's only one dose, and what we're seeing is it uh, prevents them from going on to having more serious illness from the COVID. So that's a big step. And the, the other thing that we Okay, go ahead. Go then ahead. I have a question about the monoclonal antibodies. Go ahead. What's your question? Oh, yeah, the question is, uh, are the monoclonal antibodies, are these from, like, plasma of people who have had it, or are these... Man-made uh, man, Man-made, like they, they make monoclonal antibodies for a lot of different diseases now, like in cancer treatments and, and whatnot. They're making specific types of antibodies to attack a certain type of disease. So they've made monoclonal antibodies to go after the COVID virus. That's so like monoclonal, yeah. I see. So now are these readily available throughout all the hospitals we have in the area? So if you're coming into the hospital with early signs and symptoms of COVID, the monoclonal so, antibodies would be available. So what we do, this is, this, we're trying to treat people outside the hospital. Um, for most people that are in the hospital, if, they have, if they're in the hospital because of COVID, we're not giving them that treatment. You know, they're getting other treatments if they need oxygen or dexamethasone or remdesivir or, or any of the other things that we treat someone who's actively uh, symptomatic from COVID. The monoclonal antibodies are used for people who are asymptomatic but ha- are testing positive and they have significant risk factors. So we want to prevent them from having to go into a hospital. So this is done as an outpatient. For the people who are still waiting for the vaccine, what other things can they do to protect themselves? Like we talked in the past about vitamin D and, and zinc. How do those play into this? So there are some really interesting studies about vitamin D. We call it vitamin D, but it's actually a hormone. And vitamin D seems to be very essential in our immune system and fighting um, different types of uh, diseases. Back in the, I was reading about this, back in the 1800s when TB was rampant, it's actually making a, a comeback here in this country, but in those days, you know, you would always see that people who had tuberculosis were sent to these uh, sanitariums, sanatoriums, and they were yeah, sitting outside uh-huh. in the fresh air and the sunshine, and they were being given fish oil. Well, as it turns out, the fish oil, the, the tuberculin, would, uh, would be inside a macrophage, the fighting cell in the body, and the vitamin D would stimulate that macrophage to produce uh, a, another element that would destroy the tuberculum. 
So we're seeing the same thing with COVID. It seems that vitamin D really sort of pumps up your immune system and prevents you from, uh, decreases your risk of getting COVID. Um, that, that's a big change. And, you know, vitamin D deficiency is probably the, um, worldwide is the biggest medical uh, problem that we have. We think, well, we're outside in the sun. Well, that's not enough. You need a lot of sun, which, of course, there's a limit to what you can do in terms of that. Uh, so they put vitamin D in milk, but it's really not enough. You really need to take a supplement. And the authorities now are suggesting you take around 5,000 units per day. And that should, you want your vitamin D level in your blood to be greater than 30. And they're shooting between 40 and 60. And they say they're showing that it's very COVID protective. So I think people need to start doing that. I mean, they can help themselves. I think there's been so much misinformation and um, panic that's that's caused people to really stay home and worry that there's nothing that they can do. It's just like they're just waiting for their time to come. And um, I think there are lots that we can do to help ourselves and get on with a normal life. As people complete their second round of uh, vaccinations and wait another 10, 14 days, and they feel pretty confident that they're immune now from COVID, uh, how should they conduct their lives? I know, I think we talked earlier about how you still should wear a mask because you could still be spreading the infection. Uh, How safe from the individual basis are these people who are vaccinated, presumably uh, immune from COVID? Are they really immune? And can they, like, go to movies? And yeah, it, it's showing, like, they're, like, 95% protective, which is incredible. I mean, when you look at influenza A, and by the way, I haven't seen one case of influenza A this year, not one. Um, influenza A is only 60% protective, so all everybody's getting immunized against influenza A, and I see, still see a lot of influenza A with uh, people who have been vaccinated. Um, 95% protection is very, very good. Again, so it prevents you from getting the disease, but again, we still think you can transmit it if you're colonized with it. So after people get their 95, get their second vaccine and they're 95% protective, that's great for them. But again, science needs time to see how things sort out over time. You know, how long does it take before, uh, people who are immunized are no longer, uh, able to transmit the disease? We don't have that answer. We just don't. So I think, again, going back, being good stewards of the community, still wearing your mask as much as everyone hates it, washing your hands and social distancing. But I think life in this country, as we know, it, is going to start going back to more normal. So going to a movie show, going to an indoor restaurant, uh, taking a flight on an airliner, uh, people who are protected can do that with a degree of confidence that they're not going to contract and become seriously affected by COVID, but they may still be a carrier. Is that basically it? Yeah, that's correct. And, of course, now what's happening is that we're testing more and more people. So, for instance, if your greatest risk, as you know, I see a lot of pilots, and I have, and I ask each and every one that I see, none of whom have had COVID, but their biggest risk is going through the terminal because there's a lot of unknowns in the terminal. Um, most of the pilots and the staff that are flying are tested routinely for COVID. The air uh, in the in the jets is great. I mean, you, you know, you're very safe from that. But your problem is sitting next to someone 
who may even be have been immunized but still is colonized and maybe you haven't had your second booster or you haven't had the vaccine at all you're at risk from getting it from the person next to you if they don't wear a mask and they don't uh you know protect themselves from you so to speak now, with, with people who have an injection, are they typically not going to be uh, tested again if they're going to have a procedure or something? Like now, if you're going to have uh, a procedure, you get tested for COVID. If you're vaccinated, yeah, well, do, will they continue that? They they will continue doing that because, again, people can be colonized with it. So they can transmit it even though they can't get it. doesn't mean they can't transmit it if they're positive in their nares. So, again, it's way too soon to know what we're going to do. Is it because they test positive? Is it a weak virus that's not going to cause infection? I I can't answer that for you because I don't know the answer, and I haven't been able to find it yet. I think it's just too soon. Yeah, we have about a minute to go here. With regard to the, the next steps, I'm assuming vaccinations will continue. Uh, it's going to be a long time before we reach herd immunity, if ever. Uh, but uh, I guess we all have to stay vigilant. I noticed just uh, anecdotally, we've been running into hearing of more cases sort of getting closer and closer through our circle of friends. So it is uh, somewhat saturating the system eventually. Those numbers are still going up. So if we follow your advice, well, that will, uh, with regard to vitamin D and zinc and other things, uh, that, that should uh, be our contribution to sort of holding down the numbers. Uh, would that, that be about right? Right. Things that we can do to help ourselves that we know that will stimulate in, uh, your immune system because it's a virus. It's a novel virus. We hadn't seen it before in this stage and have it so infected. But now it seems to be, while it's still infected, the, the lethality of it is, is decreasing, which is terrific. So even if you're that, getting it, you're not dying good. from it. That is good. Well, uh, Dr. Ryan Carroll, thank you so very much for sharing with us tonight, as always. And uh, we'll have you on again uh, in several weeks to give us another update as far as what's going on with COVID and, and how we're faring and when when can we sound the all clear. So thank you very much, Dan. All right. Thank you for having me. Take care. My, my pleasure. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And we're going to take a short break. We'll be back after these words. Don't go away. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on WHK, The Advocate. We'll be right back. Welcome back, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another segment of The Advocate, our final segment for the evening. We're talking to former Congressman Jim Renacci, who is still engaged with what's going on here in the state of Ohio. And we're talking about the economy and the pandemic and uh, how Ohio is going to do when we get out of this pandemic. Uh, Jim, thank you for joining us. Thank you. I'm glad to be with you and talk about some of these issues. I do believe they're important to Ohioans. Well, they are. Like I mentioned, we're going to be coming out of this pandemic sooner or later, and we have to be prepared. And uh, you were just giving us in the last segment some, uh, to me, startling statistics about how other states are able to operate at a much lower uh, expense rate than the state of Ohio for some of these reasons. Do you think any of these changes are in the immediate future to help cut down on the expenses of Ohio and allow us to reduce our taxes? 
Well, Nick, they're not being talked about in the state legislature. They need to be. Um, Ohio, as somebody told me, is a maintenance state. Uh, you know, our lead, our state leaders just maintain what is going on, but you can't maintain a state that's going in the wrong direction. One thing, Nick, I do want to um, make sure your listeners know about is if they go to jimrenacy.com, um, I also commissioned a study with the University of Akron and Ball State, which was released in November of last year, so just a couple months ago, and that study is called Falling Behind, How Ohio Continues to Lose Its Place in the U.S. Economy. What I did is I went to the universities and said, look, I went to their economics departments and said, I think Ohio's falling behind. Tell me why. And that's all I said to them. They turned around and they issued this study and they said, Ohio is falling behind. Every statistic shows it's falling behind. And uh, it's an interesting uh, study that, uh, again, your listeners can get on Jim Renacy at, the, at my website, jimrenacy.com. That, that's an easy website to remember. Uh, with regard to them saying we are falling behind, do they make any recommendations on what we can do about it to make us more competitive and not fall behind? They do. They talk about our policies, uh, which I was talking about in the earlier segment. They say that we are still using 20, 20th century economic policies versus 21st century economic policies. We're in the 21st century. We're still using um, 20th century policies. We need to uh, redirect some of our education to early education. Um, we need to diversify our economy, which is kind of interesting. We, we also need to make sure our state is a place where we have a quality of life. Our quality of life ranking is very low. And, and that's a place that you want to live, grow, prosper. And, and one of the things that I talk about all the time, Ohio is a great state. We've got a lake to the north. We got a river to the south. We got a big national uh, uh, park in the center. We got a theme park in the north, a theme park in the south. We've got two or three halls of fame. These are things that are qualities of life that we have to expand on and use for the benefit because businesses will go where people go. In the old days, and that's what this study said, you would just bring a, a big factory with a thousand employees into Akron, Ohio, and boom, people would come there. Today, that factory doesn't have to come to Akron. It'll go where the people are. And the people are going where there's a good quality of life. And we are losing ground with that. And we lose ground with quality of life because of taxation, uh, because of spending, because of regulations, all of those things, which are the policies that I keep talking about that we have to be willing to change. Uh, you have a book out called The GOP's Lost Decade. And talking politics a little bit, a uh, lot's been happening here uh, since the November election. Uh, we have Senator Rob Portman announcing he's not going to run for Senate. Uh, are you considering, are you interested in running for the Senate again? Well, uh, again, Nick, thank you for referencing my book. The GOP's Lost Decade basically tells people why I left Washington. It is a broken place uh, where politics seems to roll versus getting things done for the people. Um, so it makes it very difficult for me to say, I want to go back there. But what I oh, tell I people is, oh, yeah, what I tell people is I'm going to continue to look at ways um, that we can make Ohio stronger and better. And I announced a couple weeks ago that I'm going to look over the next 60 days, whether it's best for me to continue doing what I'm doing from the outside, which is trying to change policy, whether it's better for me to go into the Senate and try and change policy from Washington, D.C. for the state of Ohio, 
which I think would be very difficult. It's a whole other spectrum. It is broken. They're spending too much money. By the way, just a quick reference, Nick. In 2010, when I went to Washington, we were so concerned about $10 trillion worth of debt, and today we're crossing over 30, and nobody's even talking about it anymore. Um, under the Biden administration, we're, we're already anticipated to go to $36, $37 trillion. Nobody's talking about it. It's one of the reasons why I say Washington is broken. So I'm going to continue to look at ways that I can help Ohio. Those choices are stay where I'm at, work from the outside, see what I can do, if it's best for me to go to the Senate, or whether it's best for me to continue my unfinished business, which in 2017, as you know, and many of your listeners know, I did jump into the governor's race um, for less than a year until I was asked by the president of the United States to go to the Senate and try and help him in the Senate race. But uh, I do think there's a place here in Ohio. We need to fix things. We can best do it here in Ohio. That's probably where I'm most can be most effective, whether on the inside or on the outside. Well, you're one of the few people with uh, credentials and knowledge to get back involved in being active with the government here and help us uh, get back on the right course. So uh, so that's going to be coming. You're going to make those decisions, so we'll look forward to hearing from you. Well, yeah, and I'm looking forward to it as well. I'm talking to people. We are doing uh, town halls on a regular basis, about one every 10 days. We're talking about individual issues relating to Ohio. Uh, people can sign up for those at jimrenac.com. Um, I spend about an, a half hour talking about the issue. Last week was we're taxed too much in Ohio, so we talked about all the burdensome tax, including the cat tax, the sales tax, and all those taxes. Then we give some solutions, and then we open it up for an hour and let people ask questions. They've been very informative. Um, the one before that was we spend too much. We talked about that, um, and we're going to continue to do this. We're going to have a series of these, and it's hopefully it opens up Ohioans to understand the real issues that are affecting Ohio and how we can change it. Well, they're very good. I, I happened to check out your website, and I see that the town halls, you have them all online. All you have to do is put your cursor on it, click it, and sit back and uh, get yourself educated about some of these topics. So. So it's a good service to have just so we can become more conversant in what's going on here in Ohio. Uh, how, how do you think we're going to be doing when the coronavirus is over? Uh, do you see any changes that are, are hearing of any changes that are being talked about? Well, look, uh, the governor has put out a new budget. Um, it's interesting. Many of his ideas, he's, he's talking, he's using talking points from many of our town halls. So I know he's listening, which is good. Um, but I still think in the end, the coronavirus, pre-coronavirus, our Ohio economy was already damaged. We were already heading in the wrong direction. We're taxed too much. We're spending too much. We haven't changed any of that. Today, we're spending even more because of the coronavirus. Our economics are going down. We've lost jobs. Um, we've lost businesses. So I'm not too sure how strong we're going to be able to come out of this. I will tell you. Federal funding is the only thing holding up the Ohio budget right now. Your listeners should be aware of that. Um, and that's a serious problem because that's one-time money. So what we're going to have to do is dig ourselves out of this hole at some point in time. And I think it's going to be the only way to do it is to change our economic policy. So I'm going to continue to talk about them. But if you're asking me where I think we're going, look, I think we're going into deficit spending without federal dollars. Now, our federal dollars will be used to help 
you know, balance the budget. But if we're going into deficit spending, we better be prepared for long-term deficit spending if we don't get our act together and can't compete with other states. In, in, our, in our last minute here, just a quick comment. Uh, what would your number one economic policy be that you think should be changed immediately as we end the pandemic? Well, number one, we got to get our spending in line. Like I, I gave you comparisons. It's the first thing you do in any troubled business. You get your spending in line. Then we're going to have, and then we're going to immediately have to look to our revenue sources and our tax sources. We got to change our tax system so we can be competitive with Tennessee and other states. At the same time, we got to look at some of those, those spending dollars that we're doing and redirect it into things that will help us grow and prosper. Nick, I will tell you, the problem is, though, the solutions are not one month away or two months away. As the University of Akron Ball State study said, we've gotten into these problems over the last 25 years. It'll take us every bit of 25 years to balance out. That's not normal for a politician. And that's one of the no, reasons no, why no. I got out of Washington. Politicians only worry about the next election, not the next I generation. Hear I hear you. Well, Congressman, Congressman, former Congressman Jim Renacci, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, we'll be all watching your plans and watching how we do when we come out of the pandemic. And uh, we all love the state of Ohio. So thank you for joining us. And thank you for listening tonight. We'll be back next week, same time, same station. So between now and then, have a great, safe, and healthy week. Good night. And I sat and watched the Zanzibar sunset, sat and drank my fresh mint tea with nothing to 